All right. You guys can go ahead and make your way back to your seats. All right, good morning, everyone. Glad you could be here with us uh, as we uh, celebrate today. Um, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, let me give you a little bit about redemption. We are one church with multiple congregations. That means we have eight congregations, uh, six here in the valley, one in Flagstaff, and then today um, we are launching officially. They're having their first service of Redemption Tucson, and so, yeah, that's really good. And so we're excited for them and excited for God's presence there and, and to continue in Tucson. And so looking forward to that. Um, and so hopefully we have an opportunity as you think about it throughout the day, just to be praying for them and praying for Dave and his team that's down there. Uh, we believe all of life is all for Jesus. And so simply put, we believe that in Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, he wasn't only just reconciling souls to himself, but he was promising to restore and renew all things. Therefore, we seek to make disciples in response to that particular truth of what God is doing. The best way we go about doing this is Sunday services and classes, as well as in redemption communities. And uh, if you're not familiar with redemption communities, they're a smaller gathering of people who meet in various places, various times throughout the uh, city and throughout the valley to encourage one another in the Lord. Um, if you're interested in being a part of a redemption community, the best thing you could do is take the information card that's in the seat in front of you, fill out your name, your email address, and then you can drop it off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back um, on your way out. Uh, a couple announcements I have. First announcement that I have is this upcoming Wednesday, we have Bible studies. Our uh, men and women's Bible studies are starting. The women will be traveling through the book of Ruth together, and then the men will be going through the gospel of John. And again, that's three weeks, so that's, uh, that's starting this upcoming Wednesday. If you want to participate in that and you have children, we do have child care. However, you need to go online and RSVP. And um, you can do that at redemptionaz.com. Just make sure you select the Tempe congregation. Again, if you do have children, we have child care avail available for that. Um, hope to see you guys. Let me just tell you, if you're just kind of new to the church and you're saying, I, I, I've never done anything here and I want to just plug in, um, just go to a Bible study. Guarantee you, you'll meet some people. You'll meet some leaders of the congregation and some people in the congregation. And for three weeks, it'd be something just to get you kick-started. And so, again, the women's will be going through Ruth, and the men will be going through the Gospel of John. Uh, that's all I have for a time of announcement. This is the first Sunday of the month, and so for us, it is our Outward Focus Sunday, and it's a Sunday that we take of all of our redemption congregations to highlight something we're doing outside of the local congregation. Um, it's also, for us in Tempe, uh, coincides with our M25 giving. And so M25 is taken from Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus says, when you've done these to the least of these, you've also done them to me. And so today, you were supposed to bring your soup, um, pop-top cans, and, um, and if you didn't bring them, I, I, I believe the Lord said, it's okay, bring them at the 5 p.m., Right? And so there'll be, there'll be bins, there'll be bins there. I know it's always easy to forget that, but there'll be bins there. If you can stop somewhere, get some soup, drop those things off, it'd be a blessing, a great opportunity for us to be able to serve the homeless community here in Tempe and help them get fed. Um, but the announcement today, or the, the highlight today, is our redemption, foster care, and adoption. About a year ago, almost to the date, we had Robert Gelinas, who was from Colorado Community Church, come and talk to us. We were launching our initiative and um, our long-term involvement in the foster care system here in Arizona, as well as adoption here in Arizona, as well as globally. Um, and with that, we've been able to see multiple families through all of our congregations, and even here in Tempe, be able to come alongside this issue. But I want to be able to give kind of a distinction between the two, redemption foster care and adoption, as well as AZ-127. So redemption foster care and adoption, that's our ministry through Redemption Church as a whole. 
Um, this is an, um, a ministry in which we, we mobilize, we train and equip families as well as people, not just families, who want to come alongside and help um, in foster care as well as adoption. This ministry is led by um, essentially Tyler Johnson, but the point person has been and has done a phenomenal job is Kirsten Traina. Um, as well as in our local representation here in Tempe is Cody Morales. Um, it just so happened that the Kirsten Trainer, who oversees all of Redemption's foster care and adoption, also is a part of Redemption Tempe and also Cody Morales, and they've done an incredible job in that. And so the Redemption foster care and adoption is a ministry here. Um, AZ-127 um, is an, a mobilization of churches. And that's multiple churches who are together who seek to do the same thing. So both of those ministries partnership with one another. Uh, one is one that's particularly for redemption families and redemption church. Another one is for multiple churches of which we are part of seeking to address the foster care issue and adoption issues in our city. So particularly here in Arizona, just a number to throw out, about 16,000 kids that are in the foster care system that are waiting to have families. Uh, people that are, that are kids that are in the system that are looking for families. And what we want to be able to do is constantly keep before you the opportunity and then the call that the, the Bible gives us in James 1.27 is to look after um, widows as well as orphans in our community, and it's a way in which we can get involved. Um, Tempe has been unique. Um, one, there's been more families that are involved in the foster care uh, process than I would have thought just because we don't have a whole lot of families here. Um, and so that's been really cool. And, and just the creative ways in which um, people in our congregations are thinking about and or coming along beside this issue. And so hear me on this. Whenever you start talking about foster care and adoption, um, usually you go, man, I sh so some people will go, I feel the guilt I, sh I should adopt, but I don't want to adopt. I'm not ready to adopt a kid. Um, I'm a kid. Um, what, whatever, right? God, God's not calling every single person to adopt. You should never feel guilty about that. God has given the call to the church. And the church is not one person or a group of people. It's all of us. And so all you have to do is think about is what is my contribution to this? What can I do? And so here's what we're having. We're having a potluck dinner. For all of Redemption, um, it's happened October 25th, 5 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at Redemption Gilbert in the Commons. You can RSVP there, and there's Kirsten's um, email address. Go to this. If you've never been to anything remotely close or involved to foster care and adoption, go to this. Just see what the Spirit would do in just opening your eyes, and you may have resources and opportunities to help in ways that you never would have thought imaginable. But I would not go because you feel guilty, Right? Go because you see the call, you see the need, and there may be something that you may be able to do. And if that's prayer, then pray. If it's financially supporting, financially support. If it's going through the process to, to bring a child into your home, then do it. I mean, this, this is not an easy deal. Just personally, for my wife and myself, we talk about this, and this is something we've talked about for, since we first got married, um, and it's hard. There's a reality of fear in it. There, there just is. And, and most of the fear um, comes from me. Like, what does this look like? Is God calling us to do this? Do, I mean, do we get a boy? Do we get a girl? Do we take a baby? Do we get a, you know, the joke for me has always been, everyone's getting black kids. I'm going to get a white kid from Europe. And <laughs> watch. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's I, I say that to, as to, to bring just the reality to it that all of us just got to engage. The conversations in itself is worthy enough. Um, because there is an issue, and it should break our hearts um, to know that there are 16,000 kids just in our state um, that don't have a place to say, this is home, that don't have someone to say, that's mom, and that's dad. And um, 
at some level that, you know, that, that you feel like you need to do something, right? And so let's not rush into it. Let's pray our ways into it, be exposed to it, develop a community around it. And that's what redemption, foster care, and adoption is for. So m- make it a point to be at this potluck. If you can't bring, bring a snicker, right? Um, make it a point to be at this potluck. So would you guys stand with me? Let's pray for the families that are engaged in this. I want to pray a special prayer over you all um, as we think about this. And then for the kids, the kids, particularly the kids here in our system. Father, we thank you for adopting us into your family through your son, Jesus. God, if we just knew the weight of that, and that would be enough to change our entire lives. Um, God, we, as oftentimes, as many of us are presumptuous people, we fail to realize, Lord, all that has been given to us by you and through your grace. God, I lift up to you the families, Lord, that are wrestling through this, God, and through this process, Lord, that you would provide clarity, um, God, and you would provide trust, and, and, and Lord, you would provide resources for, for um, your call in their life, Lord, to come to fruition. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, who are looking on how we can engage, Lord. I pray that we would we'd get involved for the long haul, that this would not just be an event, this not would be something that seems to be cool or trendy, Lord, but we would understand the realities of it, the pains of it, the weight of it, and the joy of it. God, I pray for these children, Lord, that don't have families, that you provide families, Lord. I pray personally that you provide good, godly homes for them to be welcomed into. And God, as we talk about even this morning, what it means to welcome people into our lives, would you keep this fresh in our minds, and would you stir our affections for Jesus and your spirit to do something in us that we wouldn't think, ask, or imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Um, If you have your Bibles, why don't you guys take out your Bibles? We're going to jump straight into Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, We've been traveling through Romans for uh, a long time now. If you're new here, um, you're joining us in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to hand you out a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we're handing out so that you can uh, follow along with us and that you can grow in a knowledge of God's word. Um, so here's where we've been so far in Romans. We, we had this kind of mini-series on love, which is completed today, where Paul started off in Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 9. He says, genuine love looks like this. And so we kind of broke it down verse by verse from there, and we said, first, genuine love gets rid of what's evil and it holds fast or clings to what is good. And the week following that, we talked about how genuine love is expressed through brotherly affection and outdoing one another and showing honor. And we came back and said, genuine love seeks Jesus passionately and what that looks like to grow our passion and our zeal for the Lord. And then last week, we talked about how genuine love, it's expressed in rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, and being constant in prayer. And one of the applications we have from that was that every time you touched your phone, that you would pray. And I know all of you guys have been doing that all week, so good job. Um, for the three of you who didn't, um, there, we, we had that application. So those of you guys who weren't here, it said um, to pray always. And that literally meant to never be without. And we talked about what, what are we never without? And we're never without our cell phones. And so the application was every time you um, take your cell phone out, or every time you look at your cell phone, every time you touch it, just pray for somebody, pray an adoration to the Lord, just pray. And, and I, I, I said that jokingly, I know all of us haven't done it. I've had more emails from people saying, oh my goodness, I prayed more in the last 60 minutes 
than I prayed in my whole life because you're constantly on your phone. And so if you can keep that before you, every time you touch your phone, just, just a prayer. Lord, thank you for this phone. Lord, I thank you for this person. Lord, 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 help me, right? And I got called out the first night. We were hanging out after the 7 p.m. with some of the younger interns, and, and I was looking at my phone or something, and they were like, oh, are you praying, Pastor? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm praying for the Lord to not let me lay my hands on you. Um, so, so anyway, so yeah. So we now get to chapter 12, verse 13, and it's really simple, and yet, like all the other ones, really hard. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints, and then seek to show hospitality. I mean, there's just kind of two commands here. And, and what Paul is giving us here, I believe here, is what love looks like. What are the postures of love once you've walked through this, once you understand the love of Christ that's been given to you? Romans 5, this love that has been poured into your heart as a follower of Jesus, someone who is following Christ as a disciple, no matter where you are in that journey, what does it look like? And one of the postures are the, that he shows us is it's open hands, it's an open heart, and then an open home. An, an open hand, an open hands, that's your money. An open heart, that's your love and affection. And then open homes, and I would say that's sacrifice. And so that's what we're going we're gonna to pick up today, um, um, this morning, and looking at that. Um, I'm a big believer that more things are caught than taught. Meaning, you can teach people some things, but when you're around someone long enough, you learn things from just being around those people. Many of us, we say things, we make fun of our parents, we make fun of mannerisms they have, and then when you grow up, you realize it's you, right? We've all had that moment where you say, I'm my mom, I'm my dad. Oh my goodness, how'd this happen, Right? No one ever taught you to say the little dumb phrases parents say. You learned it. You learned it from just being around them. More things are caught than taught. And for me, what I, was, what, I was, what I caught from being around my mother was some great things. And I know I share a lot about my mom, but she's a great example for me, and especially for this text. When it comes to contributing to the needs of saints and seeking to show hospitality, I caught this before I even knew this was in the Bible, right? My mom is the most generous person that I know. And when I'm talking generous, and we're going to talk more about what that means here, but when it comes to opening your hand and opening your heart and open up your home, she was the epitome of this, right? Um, in fact, I would hate on Sundays when they would give us some announcement in our church. They would say, oh, such and such has uh, lost this and lost that, and they need help. And I'm like, oh, great. There goes my bike. Because <laughs> it was real. And she would always come home and say, hey, you won't believe what happened. And it was just like, I know I'm going to lose a bed, a bike, a favorite T-shirt. Something's gone, right? And that was just the way it was. And not only just the stuff that we gave away, but in my mom's time, she was always, she did, v my mom led VBS every single year. I marched in so many armies for the Lord. It was ridiculous, right? And so we were always doing stuff, giving things. And then the other thing that she would do is she'd always have people in our house. That actually taught me the most. Because when you bring people into your house, it's always fun at first, especially as a kid. And then it's like, I'm sick of you living here, right? And we always had these kids in my house. Let me just tell you the way my family gets down. Um, we didn't go through some legal process to become foster care people. They didn't check if our house were up to code. It wasn't. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that's illegal. You can arrest her. Um, but mom taught in the inner city. And she taught preschool, and she taught preschool in Watts. And there was always kids who needed a place to stay. And the place that they stayed was they got in the car with my mother, they got on the 210 freeway to the 10, and they stayed with us. 
We'd always have a little Latino kid, a little black kid standing in our house, always a four, four or five-year-old preschool kid that was in our home. Um, we took a 13-year-old kid in our home. Um, all these kids were in our home. And usually what would happen is a mom would say, okay, who wants to give up their bed? And one of us, me and my brother and my sister, would give up our bed, and they would be in our home constantly. Nothing ever happened in our home. Nothing bad ever happened. What it did was it broke my heart. I remember the first time, and I've shared this before, first time I ever cried. First time I ever remember cried over somebody else is I always felt that we didn't have much and we didn't have things because people around me, you know, everyone else around you has more than what you have. And then when I was looking at the situation where these people are in where they just didn't have anything, that when my mom would make some food and, and, and we would eat and then we'd want to get seconds, and they literally didn't know what seconds was. Like, you mean there's more? And, it, you know, and my mom would make, you know, like hot dogs chopped up with macaroni, the like craft box macaroni and cheese. And it was like, you want more of this? <laughs> and, and the reality was, like, that was, that was so much to them. So much to them. And those things shaped me. They shaped me. Because those things were caught. My mom never said, hey, come here. Let me pull out our big King James Version. And look at Romans 12, verse 13 says, no, she lived it out. So when the gospel began, began to take root in my heart, the love of Christ in me as it clearly was in her, like she got the gospel. She got how much God had loved her. And because she got God's love, she had to give it to other people that she just lived that out. And when I begin to see that, I'm like, wow, the Bible actually says that. That's just not what she did. And my mom taught us that through modeling it. When you're around people like that, it becomes contagious if a community of people, like as a church, if we live like that, when we live like the way Bible, the Bible teaches us, some people are reading us because we're the only Bible that they have. And when the work of God, the love of God that's been poured in our hearts begins to be poured in their hearts, they can look too and say, ah, oh, but I already know how to do that because more things are caught than taught. Pa- Paul says here, when you get this love, it's been poured in your heart. That's a gift but it's not a gift and a love that turns in on yourself that you keep it for yourself, but it's a gift to be continue to be given to the people around you. That's how the gospel works. And that's how the gospel takes root when it takes root in our lives. And the first place Paul goes after here in this verse is he goes after our pockets. And he says, when you understand this genuine love, here's how it's expressed. It's expressed in a posture where your hands are open. Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. When that word contribute literally means share. I mean, just like we've all been taught how to share, you have something, take what you have, and then share with somebody else. It's giving to somebody else. It's not saying, um, I'm going to give this to you. I want you to pay me back as long as you want, but there's a 3% interest rate. You know, just hustling, right? That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you have something, give it to somebody else, and let them have it. Whatever you have, whatever that may be. I give the example of my mom for this reason. We were not rich. This is not, oh, generous people are the people who have a lot of money. No, no, no. That place, that home that we took people in, it was a two-bedroom apartment where me, my brother, and my sister shared a room, and she was still just bringing kids in. Like, th- that, the foster care system would have never allowed that to happen now. This is before you had the rules and stuff, right? It, it, the, the point of that is saying, you may go, oh, I know generous people, or I know someone who could do that. I, you are that, Like, when Paul writes this, he's not looking at W-2s and saying, who's qualified for this? He's speaking to every single person who's been washed by the blood of Jesus. And he says, seek to show hospitality, contribute to the saints who need. First and foremost, let's go with your hands. Because when you don't believe that God owns everything, and you think it's just you, that you're the owner and you're not a steward, you'll grip things. And many of us do that. 
When you understand through the gospel of Jesus Christ that God owns everything and everything that you have, every good and perfect gift, as James chapter 1 says, it comes from the Father above, then you realize you're just a steward of these things, and how am I to steward the things that God has given me? And God says, let me help you out. Take what you have and give it to people who are in need. And particularly give it to the people in your own congregation, your own church, that are in need. Financially, share with them. Contribute means share. Every time Paul uses this, in all of his letters, he's talking about money. Now, we can talk about time, we can talk about resources, we can talk about that, and there's definitely opportunities for that. He's talking about taking your money and giving it to somebody else and sharing with somebody else. And I don't want you to raise your hands, but when's the last time you thought, you know what I should do? I should take my money to find out where the needs are and seek to meet that need intentionally. Not when we said, hey, we're going to raise the support for this, which that's good, and that's a part of it. We're going to talk about that too. But when's the last time you just thought, you know what, I need to do this. Like, I have this. This is not just for me. I could celebrate what God's given me, and I can enjoy it for sure. I'm not going to be guilted into it because my love for God, man, my cup is overflowing. What, who can, whose need can I meet? Right? The, the, the picture that Paul is giving us here, um, you can see clearly in the early church in Acts chapter 2, um, and there's a, there's a picture there where I would say there's a difference between a generous person and then just someone who gives. Um, a generous person in Acts chapter 2. Um, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had just been resurrected, and he looks at his disciples and he says, I want you guys to stay here until I, until, um, and pray here until the comforter comes with spirit. And what you see, they're in a room and they're praying and the spirit comes on them, and the movement of the church happens. And there's the power of the Holy Spirit where this happens. And Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved and they start this thing called the church, the gathering of God's people. And they, they sit around and they, they discuss and they listen to God's word. And they eat with one another. And then they pray with one another. Really simple things. And then it says that they had all things in common. And what that meant was if there was a need, someone would try to meet that need. And it wasn't like just I have an overflow of money so I'm gonna meet your need. They would sell things. Like, every time I read that, I just feel convicted. Like, like that someone was like, oh, you need something? Let me go, hmm, let me sell David's guitar, right? I'm going to sell something, right? Like, I'm going to sell something in order for you to have something. Okay, let me think about this for a second. When's the last time you thought about selling something in order that someone may have a need met, right? Again, just asking the question, when's the last time we thought of that? Like, I wonder what the needs are. And so you have this. That's generous. And and when I say they were generous, not just because they gave things, it's because that was a posture of the whole community. I guarantee you in that community, there were moments where some people were in need and they needed to receive, and the same people who had received got to a point where they were now able to give. And it was just this relationship because it was true community with one another. Generous. Open hand. But there's also this thing that religion does. When I say religion, I'm saying in a pejorative sense, in a negative sense. Religion can produce givers. It can't produce generous people. What I mean by givers, givers are people who give and want to be known that they give. They're they're people who give, and somehow they'll let you know. I mean, I know I'm not a big giver or anything, but I did give this thing over there a lot, actually. Saved some kid's life, right? They'll let you know. Um, because it's not a posture. It's not just who they are. It may be something they knew that they were supposed to do, and so they did it, right? And it looks like good obedience, but the heart of it, the posture of it wasn't generous people. The gospel produces generous people. That's a personality. That's a posture you're constantly looking at. You're not checking a list. 
um, a picture of this, of a giver, um, people who want to be seen, we see in Acts chapter 5, chapters after, just a, three chapters after Acts chapter 2. And, and, and you see the church is going well, and then there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. One of the scariest chapters in the Bible is that they see people celebrating the generous people. And they're like, wow, because you should celebrate generosity. It's amazing when you see someone get blessed. And it actually feels really good when you bless people. That's just the reality. And, and there's celebration. They're like, we like that. We kind of like that. And so people are giving money, and they're laying it at the apostles' feet, which I don't know what that looked like. Please never do that. Come on. Put your gifts in front. No, no, no. Somehow that worked back then. <laughs> and so, the, so, so Ananias comes, and he lies about the gift that he has. Like, oh, did you sell all this stuff? He goes, yep, yep, yep. And he lied, and then, bam, he died. And, <laughs> and they rolled him out. <laughs> and then his wife comes in, and she doesn't know. And they're like, man, is she going to lie too? And, and, um, and she's like, yeah, yeah, we sold all that. Bam, she died too. And then they rolled her out. And so every time I'm going to teach this to my kids, I'm going to say, um, don't lie. <laughs> right? Two different pictures. Like, they gave. They could have just said, hey, we didn't, we didn't really sell anything, but here's what we had and we gave. And it would have been just fine. It's not the amount. <laughs> but they gave because of what people would see and what people would know about them. And, and that wasn't it. The first the generous part is God has loved me so much and he's met all my needs and this person doesn't have something so I'm either willing to go without something in order that this person may have. That's an open hand. And that's, again, that's not just an activity of the church, guys. That's a posture. That's not just something we do. That's something that we are. That we are generous people. That we're constantly meeting the needs. And so, what does this look like corporately for us as redemption? Pri- primarily redemption Tempe. And so when I was thinking about this, like, we can give you some, this is some stats to say this is how you guys do it. This is how we as a church collectively do it. And so I emailed Jason and say, send me some numbers on like just our giving so far this year outside of ourselves. So nothing we do in terms of uh, maintenance and maintaining anything or anything, just stuff outside of ourselves. 23,000 given to different ministries. Um, 56,000 given over the same period for church plants. Um, and this is all up into July. Um, and that's 12% of our giving, which is, um, which is good, but our goal has always been to get to 15%. And the reason why we say that is, individually we believe it's families and individuals that 10% as a tithe is, is not the ceiling, it's the floor. So start somewhere and grow. And that as a congregation, we want to say what we have, we want always at least 10 to 15%, aiming for 15%, to be outside of ourselves because we do believe that God blesses that and we, we know that we've been blessed to be a blessing. There may come a time in Redemption Church where we're not as uh, financially uh, set as we are now. Um, there may come a time where we're just not, God is not doing what he's doing in our life now. However, being good stewards of what God is doing with his grace and his spirit in our life, we believe we are called to be probably more generous than even more churches, not because we're better, because that's the responsibility and the privilege and the opportunity that we have. And so continuing there, you have 9,000 raised and given to support uh, the Bensons. That's a family that we're sending to Turkey. Um, and uh, a little over 80,000 for last year's Advent offering went to Rio Vista Center. Um, and the Rio Vista Center, guys, is that that's the organization and, and church that we partner with here that feeds the, um, the homeless in our community, which now you guys are like going like, yeah, I really better bring those soups to the five o'clock, five o'clock service. Um, so uh, China church plants 
and then uh, redemption, foster care, and adoption ministry for that. And those are just a few things that go, that happens. And when you hear that, don't hear, when we say we doing that, don't think, oh, the elders are doing that. No, that's the finances that you guys have from contributing and being generous to this church. They go, we are a generous church corporately. What does that mean for us individually? Right? What does it mean for us in our own redemption community? What does it mean for you? What does that mean for, for me? And what does that look like? Here, here, here's how this happens, how we can become open-hand people. It's responding to God's love that we have in Jesus, seeing what he's done for us. Um, and a practical way is, you have to be so close to people in your church that the needs become obvious. People go, I don't know the needs. Well, you don't walk in and go, I know the needs. And don't ever presume that you do. Don't go to somebody and go, oh, man, you need some change? That would be bad on multiple levels. Mainly because some people dress a certain way for a reason. And especially in this city. <laughs> there, there, there is the reality of when you are close to somebody, when you are so close with them, the needs become obvious. But you've got to be in proximity. I'm not saying that everybody here needs to know everybody's name. Or need, but you need to be with some people. Let me tell you what I discourage, and this is not something we are for here. It's just Sunday attendance. And I get it. Some of you, this may be your first time here. And you get a pass. Um, if redemption is a place, it becomes a place to you and it's not a people, that's not our goal. Redemption has to be a people. That's people who you know, people who you touch, people who, who when, when crisis hit, you can pick up your phone, pray, and then ask for help, right? People that when, when something goes down in your life that you can contact, that's when you're close to people. You begin to know the needs because you're around them. And that is being in life with people. Whether you're in a redemption community or not, you need to be with people, people who love Jesus like you love Jesus, and be close with those people enough that the needs become to be, begin to arise. Another way that this happens is, um, that limits this, is actually people who are in needs. Some of you guys are, are in need. I don't want to assume, oh, everybody here is fine. No, no, no. The problem is, pride keeps you from saying that you need help. Like, pride keeps you from saying, I need help. I need help with this. I need help financially. Some things are going on. And I get it. There's people who scheme you and all that other stuff. I'm not worried about that, guys. I really, I'm really not. There's, there's wisdom that we need to know from that. But I'm not worried about, let me give you five reasons why you shouldn't give to the homeless guy on the street. Listen, man, I'm not, we're not, we're going to love people. Because when people talk about, well, we're going to abuse it. We abuse grace every single day. Every single day. And God continues to give himself. If you have a need, you have to express that need. And here's how this works. Here's how it works here. Someone will say, I have a need. And then we always have people in our congregation who don't want to be known, and they come, and they, they come to us, usually to Jason, and they say, hey, I want to bless somebody who needs help. And then that's how we connect them. Like, we connect them. We, we get their, basically, we get their profiles, and we get the other person's profile. We connect them. It's like an online dating service for us. <laughs> and uh, just joke. Um, we can connect people who, who really, who really need, have needs. And it happens by first someone saying, I have a need, but it also happens by us saying, okay, our role, our call is to have a posture with open hands because God loves us, and so he's given us things, and we can open our hands to give to others. Amen? So Paul doesn't just start there and saying, opening your hands. But then he goes to this next part, and these next two are kind of um, connected, and it's opening your hearts and then opening your homes. Um, the second part of, of verse 12, or verse 13 says this. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When it comes to opening your hearts, real quick here, I just want to show you that word hospitality. The word hospitality literally means to love the stranger. It means to love the stranger, to have affections for the stranger, which to me is, I've never thought that. 
But you know what we think? And I've always thought this hospitality is being able to be welcoming and having people in your house and having really good, good you know, uh, dishes out for them and, and, you know, having like, you know, good food for them and caring for them and Martha Stewart, the whole thing out. And then that's, that's hospitality. When the Bible talks about hospitality, that's not at all what it's talking about. It's saying, when it says over and over in Scripture to seek to be hospitable, it first means open up your heart. That's hard. It's a lot easier for me to write a check than say, I'm going to have affections for someone who I don't even know. Right? To welcome somebody in your house. That's a lot harder than to say, I'm going to just write a check for you. But he says, no, 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 your hands, your heart, and your home. Your hands, your heart, and your home. Meaning, there's going to be some sacrifice here. There's going to be some risk here. Um, a few years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, my wife and I were going to New York. I had a class to take there, and we were going to go a little bit earlier because we haven't been there. And um, we had a family here who said, our, fam- our parents live there. You could stay with them. And we had never met their parents. We didn't know who they were. They didn't know who we were. We could have been crazy. We are crazy, right? And, and they said, yeah, you guys can go. You guys can stay at their house. And it was an amazing experience. Amazing, amazing experience. And here's how this worked. They didn't know us. We didn't know them. They emailed us and said, hey, we're having a dinner this night. Um, if you guys are more than welcome to join us on your stay. And, and, and so I said, Holly, I'm all down for a free dinner. I'm always down for a free food, right? And, and what are they having? And they said, chili and cinnamon rolls. And I said, Holly, these people are crazy. I've never heard of that in my life. We got there, we got there, and they welcomed us to and their family and just the nicest people in the world. And then they made this chili and this cinnamon rolls. This has nothing to do with Jesus, but all of life is for him. And so you can knock it till you rock it. Uh, cinnamon rolls and chili are bomb, right? Translation, delicious, right? This family took us in, fed us, prayed for us. It was, it was, an, it was a great experience for her. I'm looking at my wife thinking, maybe we shouldn't go back to Arizona. I mean, I know our kids are there, but I mean, there's this foster care thing and adoption. <laughs> They'll be all right, <laughs> right? It was amazing. That's the picture that Paul is saying. Open up your heart. Have affection. Care for them. And then very close to that, not just open up your heart. Open up your home. Invite them into your home. Um, and you understand in this, in this time when Paul wrote this, there weren't a lot of motels and a lot of hotels and things like that. Hospitality was key. And it's one of the essential things of Christianity. And again, don't think hospitality is just offering nice drinks, guys. We, we do that. And, like, and we also think it's good because we can throw a good party. It's not throwing a good party for the people you already know and who love you and you love them. It's actually having people over who you don't know. People don't look like you. People don't vote like you. People don't believe like you. That, that's what the Bible talked about. And hospitality was never done just on an individual basis. It was done on a communal basis. Because if you were an individual and you were a stranger coming into a community in this, in this time, in the ancient Mediterranean uh, world, um, there wasn't a sense of brotherly love. There wasn't a sense of universal brotherhood where I'm just going to like you for liking you. You were a threat. I didn't know you and you didn't know me. And so somebody on behalf of your community had to say, I'm sending this person to you. And the other community said, okay, we're going to welcome them in. And there was protocol. I mean, the, the guest who came in had to be someone who was thankful, um, who could not just make himself at home. So this person couldn't just kick his feet up on the table, take his shoes off, start flicking his toes and stuff like that, right? Like, you can't do that. You should never do that, right? That was it. The, the guest, the person um, who was the host, had to care for them, feed for them, and make sure that they were no longer a stranger. Like, it was on them to say, I'm welcoming you and to make sure that you are no longer a stranger. So when you come back, you are no longer a stranger. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so what does that look like for us? 
before I deal personally, I want to deal with us just in this environment right here. And I've thought about this for this whole week thinking about this. Probably the most convicting thing for me in this, in this text is are we a welcoming community? And I'm not just saying are our greeters good. I'm not just saying um, do we have that, that moment of time where you can say hello to somebody. I'm just saying as a posture, does somebody come into this place and say, oh, they're seeking to show hospitality. That can't be a, pr- that can't be a program. That can't be a training. That can't just be for people with name tags on. Paul's not saying if you have a name tag, this is what you have to do. He's saying if, if you're a follower of Jesus, and, and, and hear me on this, I'm not exactly sure that we aren't. I'm not exactly sure that we are. I want to ask a few questions that, that came to me, and that is this. Who are the people who would walk into our community and may not feel this immediate affection and love, right? I, I, I wonder what it would look like for us, and this could get uncomfortable. What it look like for us when any given week, you guys understand, not everybody in this room is a Christian. And I never assume that. Every time I get up to preach, I never assume that everybody in this room is a Christian and we all like the like, same things and we all love Jesus. No, I, th- I believe most of you are because this is a church service, but not everybody is. And so we shouldn't presume that either. We shouldn't. Um, what do we do when someone walks in, when a woman and a woman walks in holding hands and they are in a homosexual relationship together and they have kids and they check their kids in the child care? Because you know what? It's happened and it'll happen again. Do they feel loved and welcome or do we need to feel like we need to tell them what we believe first before they can come inside? Right? What if somebody who has a stigma of maybe he, they have uh, criminal backgrounds and criminal backgrounds that are not as acceptable, right? Or they're sexual, um, whether it's rape, whether it's some, what, what, what do we do with that? Do we welcome that person? Does the Democrat willingly welcome the Republican, the Republican, the Democrat, and so forth? Do we welcome these people? Are we really good with handicapped people? Are we really good with poor people? Are we really good with people who just doesn't, don't know the social vernacular that many of us have? Because most of us, we have an education. We've graduated from high school. Many of us are graduating from college by being close to the university. Are we, are we good at that? Like, I think about this. Can my dad come to this church? Can my mom come to this church? And, and my, my, I answer this question, I think their yes to all is just saying, have we thought through those things corporately hot, on a hospitable? Can a Muslim come in here? Can a Hindu come in here? Right? You get what I'm saying, guys? I'm not saying we bend at all on what we believe about any of those things. Not one bit. Because we got to understand to love somebody is to be truthful. But you got to realize this too. Some people have to belong before they believe. Some people have to belong before they believe. Many people have to belong. They have to see a plausible, what would Christianity look like? What is Christianity like before they can believe? And let me just tell you this, those are not all, um, like, what if those things, every single one of those situations I just named has happened. I got an email a few weeks ago of a man saying, me and my partner are coming to church, what can we expect? And I sat there and I thought, or he wanted me to call him back. So I called him, and he goes, well, we're going to be ridiculed, and I'm just giving, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. And I said, what I think is going to happen is just like if you guys walked into Target. Some people are going to look because, you know what, it's still a little different, right? Not everybody sees two men holding hands. And I said, but I promise you this, we'll love you. And I said, but I'm going to be honest with you, what our convictions are. And I talked through that, and I said, but I want you to come. And they came. But Paul is not talking about something that's easy here, <laughs> right? Because now you ask yourself the question, when's the last time you had someone over your house that was, not, that was other and a stranger, willingly. That you had them over for dinner, that you had them over to share with your family, 
that you intentionally look for. Because what Paul is saying here, when he says, seek to show hospitality, that word seek means intentionally look for it. Don't just, oh, you know what, it happened to come up or when the, when the chance arises. He's saying a Christian community not only seeks to open up their hands and contribute, not only has a position to love people who they've never met, but to bring those people into their home. He says that, that's, a, that's an intentionality, to bring people into your home, to welcome them in your home, to make them not feel like a stranger, even though they may be other. They may be someone who's a Christian, but it may not be maybe somebody who's not a Christian. What does that look like? Or how does that look? You know, you, you, you know why this is hard for us? It's because what Paul is calling us to is wildly impossible if we don't have the love of Jesus. Because what we're getting close to is we're talking about giving of our money and our resources to people that we're never going to get anything back. We're talking about loving people who may hurt us, that we don't even know them. And we're talking about welcoming people into our family. That's a sacrifice. Guys, there's only one who did that perfectly. And it's the same one who did that for us. Jesus is the one who opened his hand. He said, the Bible lets us know, Paul says in Corinthians, he who was rich, he became poor for our sake. I mean, he gave without the, the, um, the interest of us giving back. He says he became poor for our sake so that we who are poor spiritually, who could not do anything for ourselves to reconcile a relationship with God, he did that so that now we may be rich in it. I mean, we have much to give. Our cup runs over because of his love. Jesus is the one who accepts the stranger. We're enemies. He understands the risk. He gave his life for it. He died on the cross. There's no way we can meditate and sit at the feet of the cross and see a bloody Savior and not think, man, I was a stranger. And this man who I did not know, who I was not looking for, he came for me. He came that I may have life, that may have it abundant. And if whatever resources I have that come from this man and come from his father, I want to be able to share with that other people may have life and they may have it to abundance in tangible ways to tangibly show the love of Christ in my, my life and the world around me. And when it comes to opening up our homes, there's nothing, there's nothing more truer than this than Jesus opening up his home for us. That this picture of us being adopted because Jesus' life and his death, this is, this, that is the truest hospitality. Well, you're a stranger. You're an enemy, but now you're welcomed in and you're treated no longer as a stranger. In fact, you're not just treated like someone we know. You're treated like a child. That, 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 that picture's there. Let, 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 me, let me tell you what this is like when we begin to show this to others. That when we, when we let that pool into our souls, into our lives, we want to share this with others. We want to give it to others. Not just the message of the gospel, but the ministry of the gospel. Not just the words of Jesus, but the deeds of Jesus and everything that we do. I, I was at um, a dinner as we were prepping for this week for um, the foster care deal. There was a man who was in town who was a pastor, I believe, in Pennsylvania. And he was sharing his story of adoption. And it, it was wrecking. I'm going to just be honest. We didn't do this at the last service. I have been getting wrecked by this whole adoption thing because, honestly, I'm scared. You know what I'm scared of? I'm scared if I bring a child into my house, something's going to happen to my, ch- my children. I'm scared that if I do that, I might have to give up my job because I probably need to be home even more if something's wrong with my, my kids. Um, I'm really questioning, did God just give me good kids or if I'm a good parent? And I know the only way God's going to ever change my heart, the only thing that my heart's going to change is if God changes my heart. And that's just the reality because I do feel called to this personally. I don't know what, what ways it's going to look like, 
but I have to acknowledge those things. Well, this guy was talking, and I was hoping he wasn't going to say, I didn't want to adopt, but then God opened my heart. That's exactly what he did. And I'm sitting there just going, man, go somewhere else. You know, like, and let me just tell you the story that he shared. And he shared this story how he, um, when he met his wife, um, he met her in Bible college, and, and she was doing sign language. And she said, as they continued to get closer to marriage, she was, I just want to let you know, at some point in our life, if you marry me, I'm going to want to adopt a kid who's deaf. And he goes, I didn't, I didn't really care, but I thought she was really attractive. And so I said, yeah, I've always thought I've wanted to do that too, right? And we had our kids, and our kids were growing up, and they were in junior high, and it began to happen. And we had this guy come in, and he shared about adoption and at this foster care place. And in a long story short, it came that they can adopt a kid from Asia who was, who was, who was deaf. And so they went, and they adopted this little boy, and they raised him. Well, it came up again that they can adopt another little girl. And they were able to adopt this little girl um, who was also deaf. And they said when they brought the little girl home, they got to the house, and the brother who had been adopted grabbed her hand and ran into her room that they had decorated for her. And ran upstairs in the room, and in his own deaf voice, he kept pulling out the drawers and pulling out her clothes and saying, yours. Pull out the closet, pull out more clothes. Yours. Show the bed. Yours, yours. And what he was saying was, what we didn't get is because most of this stuff had been given to us. He had known what it was like to not have anything and say yours. And so he couldn't wait, now having experienced it, to tell his sister, this is yours now too. And I sat there and I thought, there's not a better picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we have been adopted into his family, when we have been welcomed into his family, that he spent everything he could to open up his hands for us, and his affections and love has been poured into our hearts, and he's, in his hospitality, he's, he's, he's sought to, to welcome us in, that when we have that, we want to go to every single person in word and deed and say, yours, 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 because of Jesus. Amen? It is, it is my prayer, it is our prayer, and I know it's yours too, I'm not the only one here, not just the adoption deal, but all of things, that if our posture could be that, because we get so close to the gospel, it begins to wreck us, that our whole life is lived with open hands, that we say, Lord, this is yours. Do as you will, Lord. Do as you will. Let's pray. God, uh, we can start by just saying, Lord, when it comes to our money, Lord, that's how we usually know if we're in control or not. And I can give and we can give so many excuses to, to seek to give it away for any other reason, Lord, other than to provide for ourselves. And sometimes, Lord, we don't even see those reasons as being selfish, Lord. So give us new eyes and faith to trust in you. God, when it comes to open up our hearts to a stranger, to someone who's sitting next to us today that we don't know, it is awkward to introduce ourselves to people, let alone love them. God, we cannot do that unless your love is so submitted into our hearts that your love is so uh, present in our life. And God, we thank you that you have, you have desired and you have uh, promised and you have followed through to give us that love, Lord, in which we did not deserve, Lord. And you love us, Lord. You don't love us because we get better and we're getting better. You don't love us because of any promises we made to you. You love us because you love us. And Lord, that changes everything. And lastly, God, I thank you and we thank you, Lord, that you have welcomed us into your family. God, I pray for anybody in this room tonight who does not know how welcome they are into your family through Jesus. 
that even in this moment, God, that they would see your son, Jesus, telling them, it's yours. It's yours. And the kingdom of God would begin to have presence and take presence, presence in their life, God, as they grow up into salvation, to understanding and knowing you. God, I pray that these postures of open hands and open hearts and open homes, Lord, would be cultivated in us, Lord. They would not be lists of things in which we try to do, but they'd be postures in which we pray and trust that the work of the Spirit is cultivating in our lives. God, humble us, Lord. Humble us to the call of adoption, the call of foster care, the call of obedience, and most clearly to the call to love and follow Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We praise you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.